now tuned in to the Believers Podcast, bringing you updates on your Chicago Bulls, hosted by yours truly, Keith Fran, aka Bulls Scripted on Twitter. Come on, baby, make it hurt so good. That's that's just the song that comes to mind after you get spanked by 37 points by a dynasty team that's arguably you know one of the greatest teams of all time if not the greatest team of all time they haven't got boogie back yet so who knows and you know i know some people like spankings and that you know teach their own tonight wasn't fun by any means at all and there's going to be a lot of games that aren't fun by any means at all this season and unfortunately we just are going to have to take it, whether we like it or not. We're just going to have to suck it up because we are starting a lineup that is the average age of a senior in college, 22 years old, 21.8. That's what that's lazy math without the months and days incorporated in. But by years, the Bulls' average age in their starting lineup is 21.8 years old. And then when you look at our bench, you see that all we really have is players that started for the Windy City Bulls last year. Uh, Shaq, who was cut by the Suns. Wayne Selden, who apparently, for whatever reason, the Grizzlies valued so little that they thought adding two second-round picks on top of him was a good trade for Justin Holiday. Which, that's, that's the positive that's keeping a smile on my face currently. Is the Bulls could be picking anywhere from... 35 to 40 with the Grizzlies pick because Dylan Brooks is injured. They're not looking like they're going to make a playoff run. So the Bulls may have acquired a fairly good asset from the Grizzlies for this year. On Tankathon, the Bulls are projected to pick Cameron Johnson. He's a 6'8", small forward shooting 49% from three-point from UNC. He's actually playing in front of Nasir Little quite a bit, which is why I've been watching the Tar Heels. Uh, so I've actually kind of been couch scouting Cameron Johnson myself. So that was kind of cool to see with the Bulls currently sitting 40th with the Grizzlies second round pick, that he would be somebody that could potentially be available back there. And obviously that could change by draft time because six, eight wings that shoot like that from three are commodity in the NBA these days. So I know tonight hurt. Zach Levine and Bobby Portis were the only bright spots tonight, though the Bulls starters outside of Hutchison, who actually played almost 30 minutes, they only played three quarters worth of basketball, about 25 minutes apiece for Levine, Lowry, Dunn. We got spanked in three quarters. We were down by 21 at the half. We did see some fight to close that second quarter, and the Warriors came out and had one of their notorious third quarters. The Bulls kind of got into them a little bit. They were chatty didn't necessarily roll over there's a lot of frustration fouls and a lot of frustration in general going on which will happen when you're getting your ass kicked but they didn't completely quit which was something nice to see uh obviously talking trash or saying anything when you're getting your ass kicked that bad isn't necessarily warranted you don't deserve to be talking at that point but it's better than quitting so Levine had 29 points on 10 of 16 field goals and was 3 of 5 from 3-point. Portis had 16 points, 
four rebounds, two steals, and one assist. And there was actually several decent passes by Portis tonight that showed an aspect of his game that maybe I just haven't noticed before. Maybe since I'm looking more closely for little positives this year to get through, I'm noticing more things. But Bobby had a couple passes that showed some good vision. And the Bulls could use a lot more ball movement in their offense. So seeing BP's recognition of double teams and passing out of that and finding a driver or a cutter is encouraging to see because Portis is very shot happy, though he only took seven shots tonight. So to get 16 points on seven shots is pretty encouraging. I don't believe he even scraped over 20 minutes. His minute restriction has been extended to 28 minutes at this point. So we get full use of BP going forward unless we go to overtime, which would be encouraging to see. Chris Dunn rolled his ankle and had foul trouble tonight guarding Steph Curry. You can imagine where that would come into play. One positive defensively that we saw was Lowry Markinen guarding Kevin Durant. And while Durant was kind of floating most of the game and clearly wasn't fully engaged until the Bulls started talking some crap when they were down 30, he matched up with him. And we actually saw Lowry play some small forward, something I've talked about kind of loosely on Twitter. But Lowry plays on the perimeter for the most part. And in today's NBA a lot of small forwards actually play power forward because you get the speed advantage similar to Jabari Parker playing the four. That's his advantage is traditional power forwards cannot keep up with the athleticism, the quickness, and the burst. Players like Thaddeus Young of the Pacers are now permanently power forwards when traditionally they would have been small forwards. So on most nights, starting at the power forward, Lowry is going to see between switches and even just his primary matchup players that are small forwards. And obviously Kevin Durant's a seven-foot monster like Lowry, and that matchup is kind of unexpected, but then when you think about it a little more, you could see why it makes sense. And Lowry held his own, and like I said, take it with a grain of salt because Durant was kind of floating most of the game. But to see Lowry at small forward, BP at power forward, and Wendell at the five is kind of encouraging, especially going into a lottery where the Bulls could potentially be looking to get Zion Williamson. Lowry plays on the perimeter, and in today's NBA, you can play whatever position you can defend, and while Lowry might not ever be a lockdown defender on small forwards, he does present an interesting matchup at that position of his own because he is seven foot tall. He is athletic and has solid lateral quickness to the point where he could probably hold his own there most nights. And if you're doing it already, and you can get the best players on the floor in a situation where you have Zion Williamson, or even maybe to close this season in situations to close the game with Bobby Portis to get your best five players on the floor, I think that's a very intriguing development to watch as things go by. Lowry's a pretty solid playmaker in his own right, so from the small forward spot, he can handle it there. The Bulls are poor rebounding, so an extra big body there is also, I think, Hutch filling in there works out pretty good from a small forward standpoint. And we saw some solid improvements from him tonight as well, 6.6 rebounds. Uh, He only took seven field goals. 
But out of the starters, he's the only one that wasn't negative 20 or greater. So Hutchison's overall impact in its conservative way isn't hurting the team much. And on defense, I think he is a positive. I, obviously, we need to see a lot more if he ever wants to be the starter. Tonight, Lowry only had eight field goals. That's not ideal. I'd like to see him have eight field goals attempted by halftime. And getting him and Wendell going early is the biggest thing for me. Zach Levine can get himself going at any point. He can get to the basket whenever he wants. He can get a step back or a transition pull-up three whenever he wants. That's something Zach can do on his own at any time during the game. And what he needs to recognize is early in the game, it is him and Chris Dunn's job to get Lowry Markkinen and Wendell Carter in a rhythm, feeling good, getting their confidence up, keeping them engaged, so that not only on the offensive end, but on the defensive end and on the glass, they are in the game and they are hungry and they don't feel like they're just being left out of all the fun. Because there is a lot of times, and it's not just Zach, that Chris Dunn completely loses Lowry Markkinen on the perimeter. And that is very hard to imagine because he's this rather ghostly, pale, seven-foot giant on the perimeter. He, he cannot be very hard to ignore. So you have to find him. And we need to see that improve because Lowry should be taking almost eight three-pointers a night, especially on nights that he's on. And that's why it's key to get him going early. And if he's not going early, then he has to adjust and get himself to the basket and get to the free throw line. But that early game situation and getting the ball to both him and Wendell early kind of sets the tone for the rest of their game. Zach and Dunn can both get theirs whenever they want. That has to be the focus going forward. I do find a lot of humor in the double standards last year. The Bulls couldn't tank good enough, and now this year their roster construction is too poor, and Jabari being paid $20 million is the most asinine thing in the whole entire world, even though it was a front-loaded contract that was necessary to get the Milwaukee Bucks to rescind his qualifying offer to get it for only one year because restricted free agents have to be signed to two years guaranteed minimum. You can have options after that. You can get a two plus one, but... Did anybody want to pay Jabari Pass this year? The way things have played out, it doesn't even look like the Bulls wanted to play Jabari this year. It looked like they're kind of just paying him, hoping that somebody might go, oh, look, that pass number two pick overall is just sitting there doing nothing. We can get him for whatever and probably dump some salary in the process. And if we can improve our roster and improve our cap situation going into the offseason for solid asset that is less valuable to us but more valuable to Chicago I think that works out for both teams so the Jabari situation really doesn't bother me as much as it bothers other people my concern with the Jabari situation that it was going to make us incrementally better to the point where we were going to finish 11 to 14th in the lottery and he wasn't going to stick because his fit was poor but he was going to add just enough production and depth to this team that we were going to shoot ourselves in the foot. And instead, it's been the opposite. And that has always kind of been the assumption going into the Jabari signing that he was either going to be really, really good and show flashes of the player that was once compared to LeBron James, or 
his fit was going to be so obviously bad that he was going to increase our draft position and put us in position to fill the major gap that we have at small forward, the gap that we've had since we traded Jimmy Butler. Justin Holiday is gone, and hallelujah, that is something to be grateful for every morning since it's happened. Jabari does need to be traded. The optics of this current situation are ugly, but I don't understand fighting for him to play. Why? Why give that man false hope? They're being honest with him. He knows that he's not going to play. Risking him having an injury with his history isn't beneficial for the Bulls. He was given ample opportunity with Lowry Markkinen and Bobby Portis out for the first 20 games to play himself into shape, and as that stretch concluded right before Lowry got back, he was putting together some solid games. So outside of that opportunity, I don't know what fans proclaiming that he should be playing to get trade value expect to get out of him that is going to raise his value more than that stint where he had 30-plus minutes a night to play his natural position of power forward. It's not about Jabari's impact on our wins and losses at this point because he's not going to be here. The Bulls don't intend to pay him. The Bulls are saying that they don't want to take on future salary in a trade. They know that in order to trade Jabari for anything of value, that is what they're going to have to do. But you're not going to openly broadcast the fact that that is what you were trying to do because then that's the only offers that you're going to get and teams will think that you're desperate for those assets and you're willing to take whatever they're going to give you. The Bulls should not take anything less than a protected first-round pick or a past first-round pick that still has obvious potential. And with an offseason coming up that has a free agency class that is stacked with Kemba Walkers and potentially Kyrie Irvings and Kevin Durant's and so on and so forth as we go down the list, there are some teams that could see the opportunity in the offseason to make improvements where dumping cap now, given the situation at hand with a Jabari contract, where they can either improve their roster by dumping their overpaid veteran that makes way too much money for his production and is riding the back end of their bench anyway and replace that player with Jabari and increase their ability to add players in free agency. But they have to give the Bulls an asset great enough in order to do that because if they don't, the Bulls get to maintain their flexibility and take that into free agency. Jabari's a cap holder. He literally is sitting on our bench currently as dead cap, making our roster worse, increasing our draft positioning by being a non-factor. And if he's bought out, that's legitimately what he will be for the remainder of the season. If he's traded, the player that we take on will probably be riding the back end of our bench, similar to Jabari. So that player will also be dead cap. We'll hopefully just have an asset attached to it if he's traded. So Jabari being dead cap is an asset in itself. Saying that the Bulls don't know how to tank well enough when they are literally sitting 20% of their allotted cap on the bench doesn't make sense. They only added G-Leaders outside of that $20 million that they invested in Jabari that's sitting on the bench that can't hurt them past this season. Robin Lopez's money is finally coming off after this season. His contract was acquired when we had to trade Derrick Rose for Jerry and Grant, Robin Lopez, and other scraps because 
of Rose's injuries and the situation in his contract being too expensive for his current situation. So Robin Lopez was the bullet that the Bulls had to bite. That comes off this year. We are are ahead of schedule. And I really think that that is what is contributing to the frustration amongst Bulls fans. As they see Zach Levine, they see Chris Dunn, they see Lowry Markinen, and they see Wendell Carter Jr. And they think that that should just mean wins and progress and all these things because of the raw talent that is there. It's not going to happen overnight. These guys are just starting to play together. They have very limited chemistry. And we have another 40 games after tonight of struggling to gain some of that chemistry to see what fits and what doesn't and what we need to target in the draft. That is what is important. So individual improvements like Bobby Portis becoming a better passer is what you should be looking for this year. Zach Levine getting to the free throw line more than he ever has in his career is beneficial, despite the lack of whistles that the Bulls get as a team as a whole. Which, hopefully, by the end of the season, is something that at least one of the players, whether that's Lowry Markkinen, Chris Dunn, Bobby Portis even, or Zach Levine, that establishes that kind of reputations with the referees. And obviously, Zach Levine sneaking into an All-Star game, which is rather unlikely because of the Bulls' record, but his production speaks to that of an All-Star. His excitement in which he plays with kind of contributes to what the All-Star game is about. So it's very possible that he sneaks in there. And I think at this point in the season, outside of a top draft pick, that is the best case situation for this Bulls team is Zach making an All-Star team and gaining some respect for this team where we get more consistent calls, at least for him. And then hopefully with the addition of some veterans in the offseason, that translates to a more equal game being called. And it's not just the Bulls, it's every young team, it's expected. And that's where my confusion comes in with all of this frustration amongst Bulls fans. We signed up for this. And in most other situations, the Bulls would have acquired future draft assets instead of a Zach Levine or a Chris Dunn. They would have just gotten Lowry Markinen and a couple future firsts or something like that to keep the expectations low, one, but also to keep the talent level lower where you're going to be finishing at the bottom. And I truly feel that that's what the Bulls did with this roster. We have a lot of players that can't shoot. Our best three-point shooter from last year is out for the season in Denzel Valentine, who has a big season next year that he better start preparing for right now to solidify a spot on this team going forward. But we're without our best three-point shooter. We added a bunch of G-leaguers. Ryan Archie Diacono has been a great storyline and provided a good amount of excitement for a short period for this Bulls team, but he's a third-string back-of-the-bench reserve point guard. He's our backup point guard. Shaq Harrison, who really just needs to start shooting the three-pointer, whether it goes in or not, because more times than not, when he runs out of the corner, he forces a turnover or makes a bad play out of that anyway. I'd rather have a miss three. Or play Wayne Selden over him, which we did see some of tonight. That was another positive. Wayne Selden did get action. It wasn't anything spectacular, but just seeing the Bulls' willingness to give him an opportunity was nice to see early, and it wasn't like it came in garbage time. He was a part of the initial rotation in the first half. So seeing that should be something to watch going forward 
maybe the Bulls can steal another solid back end of the bench or backup role player in Selden going forward out of the Justin Holiday trade, which would be humorous because I really think the Grizzlies have to be looking at each other right now. We're looking at Justin Holiday like, what did what did we do? I don't know. And who knows? Because there's apparently a lot of teams interested in Justin Holiday and advanced analytically Holiday was one of the best players on the Bulls team all year. I think a lot of that was deception and usage and over usage, but it worked for the Bulls. And I just think the expectations need to come down. Losses are a friend, even though that tonight was painful. We lost by 21 points in the first half and 16 points in the second half with a roster that is nowhere near built to dethrone a dynasty. So that was expected. Fred Hoiberg getting fired was expected. If Jim Boylan ends up getting fired as I expect, that will have been fairly obvious to everybody else once it happens. Two, that he was only given a full head coach title because the Bulls were firing Hoiberg for lack of respect being commanded from the players. So how can you give an interim coach that position and expect anything different? Boylan has not signed a long-term extension. I haven't even heard anything about a raise yet. So right now he is coaching for his job as much as the players are playing for theirs. So to think that his poor offense and his crazy terms and if he doesn't have control of this team, contributes to anything but the Bulls actually doing a legitimate coach search and not employing and hiring from within an interim to finish the season during a season that they don't care about. I don't know what the frustration is. He's hurting the development of the players. Chris Dunn is averaging more assists and less turnovers than he did last year. I don't see how that is not a positive development. I'd say that that half-court chemistry that's being gained by slowing it down early is going to be beneficial in the long term as they continue to turn the knob up on the pace and push it, which also comes with chemistry. Transition and half-court offense and defense both have a lot to do with chemistry, something that the future five does not have. What is it, game three that they've been together? Maybe four? So let's get to game 10. Let's get to game 20. Let's see how we're doing then. And I still don't expect phenomenal things like the Pacers game every night. That's going to be hard to do. We don't have the depth. We don't have the veteranship. We don't have the respect of the officials. We are set up to lose. And hopefully this pain results in some pleasure come the lottery, come the draft and the Bulls attack free agency this next year appropriately. And then it'll be more clear to everybody whether or not Jabari was just a short-term gamble that was either going to be dead cap or be phenomenal, so in a sense a calculated risk, and that they actually have a blueprint. But you cannot complain about how bad the Bulls are at tanking and then get extremely pissed off when their roster doesn't have the depth or the experience to win games against a dynasty. I think the expectation bar needs to be lowered, and we just need to focus on the small things. And unfortunately, most nights, there's very minimal things to be impressed with, 
but the core four, the future five, the sensational six with Portis, we are seeing positives from each of them each night. Everybody else on the roster is all but irrelevant. And my favorite thing has to be people talking about Felicio's contract. Like half of them weren't saying that he should get that contract before he got that contract. So using hindsight to look back on it now and bash the Bulls for something that you were on board with has to be the most comical thing in the world to me. So keep it classy out there. Try to lower the expectations. We're going to get through this season. We're likely going to add a top five pick unless the lottery is extremely cruel to us. Even at that point, we're going to add a solid wing piece, which is the biggest hole on this team. I think Chandler Hutchison has potential. He clearly has a lot of confidence and room to grow into before he is a starter in the NBA. We have two rookies in our starting lineup. One of them is one year older than a high school senior. We have time. And we are actually ahead of schedule, although it feels more painful than it should because of that factor. Because we have the talent and the pieces that we have seen flashes from throughout their tenure here, we feel that they should be doing better. But they haven't played together. A lot of this roster is playing for themselves. Portis is playing for a contract. A lot of the G League players are auditioning for future teams as well as the Bulls in their stint here with this opportunity. So as the season goes on and the Bulls form chemistry, hopefully they find a sense of unity. They start playing for each other. They start playing together. And hopefully we can turn the knob up on the pace, the playmaking, the ball movement, and all of that comes. Because I can agree that that has been suspect. But I can't put that all on Boylan when the Bulls don't have the personnel. Levine, Lowry, and Portis are really the only above-average three-point shooters we have left. Obviously, Blakeney as well, but he's more of a corner three-point shooter. When he's at the top, he likes to drive in and elevate over the defense and put it in from 13, 14 feet. But we don't have the personnel for that, and I do need to see Chris Dunn and Wendell Carter start shooting more because that's what this season is about. It is about development. But I know as soon as they're shooting threes and we're missing, we're going to hear about that too. Oh, well, why aren't we sticking to their strengths? Which is what the Bulls seem to be trying to do currently. Walking before they run, and I think Bulls fans are just impatient. We want it all. We want it now. And outside of Lowry not getting over 10 field goals, though Zach Levine was the only one in double-digit field goals tonight, a lot that happened tonight wasn't anything that was unexpected. The Warriors' big three and Steph, Clay, and KD combined for 80 points in three quarters. I don't know what you expected the Bulls to have an answer for to that. They're all pups. They're playing a dynasty team. So take tonight's spanking with a grain of salt. The rest of this road trip's going to be difficult. We get the Jazz tomorrow night. And I believe they beat the Lakers tonight. So we'll both be on, on a back-to-back. That should be an interesting game that I think the Bulls are at least a little better matched up for than the Warriors. I'm kind of excited for the Lakers game. LeBron isn't going to play. That's a game where I feel the talent level is more equal, though the Lakers do have veterans. 
that's a game I'm excited for. That's a game that I expect the Bulls to put up a good fight and hopefully still win. I don't like losing to Lakers fans. They're really annoying. So the Bulls spanking their young core would make this road trip worthwhile. That's all we need. It's just to return a spanking on the Lakers and then we can enjoy that one win for the next five losses and be content with where we are in the lottery. Because when that time comes, it probably, hopefully, unless we get royally screwed, will all be worth it. And then we can leave this behind us. And like the Chicago Bears, the Bulls will be primed for an underdog story next year with lowered expectations, and then we can appreciate that outcome more. So hang in there with me. The East sucks. I think the Hornets are 19-22 and 22 in the eighth seed. That's a below 500 team that's currently making the playoffs in the East. The Bulls weren't injured for the first 20 to 30 games. Maybe even more so considering we're just getting whole for the first time with Portis now. Who's to say that we don't have five more wins and we're not legitimately able to say we're still in the playoff race? So we're getting the best of both worlds. It sucks. It's painful. I can't watch post games because Boylan's quotes do make me shake my head. But if he instills a somewhat solid defense before he leaves, that's a positive. I do expect a new coach to be coming because if you want to draw in free agents and you want to get this core to buy in, you are going to have to bring somebody that appeals to their strengths. And that's not something I think Boylan does on the offense. But 50-plus games of Boylan boot camp and trying to implement a defensive scheme or just a base concept of defense into players like Zach Levine. If that can happen, I think those are all positives. So let's hang in there. The future isn't as far away as it feels. I'd like to thank you again for tuning in, supporting the Believers Podcast. Uh, It means a lot. This is really all I do. I don't know how I'm going to turn it into money, but I do know with your support that I can turn this into something. So like, comment, subscribe, review, retweet, whatever you can spare in your time to help me is appreciated. Rough seas, Bulls Nation, but I do see an island ahead. There, There is shore, and it's not Jabari Island. We're leaving that one in the past. So hang in there. Until next time, go Bulls. Go Bulls.